You know, being married uh, to a California girl has its, has its advantages. Um, every year we get the opportunity to go see a whole other side of the country uh, that you don't typically get to see. And uh, one of the places that we got to go several years ago was Yosemite National Forest. Now, I am a huge hiking nut. I like to hike around. I know it doesn't look like it, but I, believe me, I do like to hike. And uh, we were able to go into Yosemite National Park uh, several years ago. And I fell in love with this mountain. This is Half Dome. I know it's also like a computer screensaver for a lot of uh, different computers, but this is Half Dome, all right? And this is one of those mountains that literally towers over everything in that valley. And so when we saw this from the floor, from the valley, I thought to myself, man, I want to know everything there is to know about this mountain. So I did research when I got home that day um, and started learning some things about Half Dome. I learned that it was 8,839 feet high. I know that uh, it's about a 14.2 mile hike uh, to get to Half Dome uh, there and back. And it takes the average person about 14 uh, 14 hours to accomplish that. Now think about that, okay? Like an average person walks maybe a 20-minute mile. It's taking an hour a mile to hike this, all right? I also learned that at the very end of the hike, the worst part are these steel cables. And I've got a picture of that here as well. And this is a 400-foot, 45-degree uh, vertical that you literally have these cables that you, that you climb up. And I learned all of this stuff about that. And that because of these cables, because of these cables, very few people actually can hike this. That it's actually done through like a, a put your name in the hat kind of system. You put your name in the hat and you draw out, they just literally draw out names out of a hat on who can hike this. And so it was one of those things that I kind of thought to myself, well, I'm going to just put this out of my mind because it'll, it'll never happen. There's no way I'll ever just happen to get the dates that I'm in California to be able to do this. And about two years later, my brother-in-law calls me the day before I'm supposed to come to California for the week. And he says, I've got some exciting news. I just won the, basically the lottery system to hike this mountain. Do you want to go? I said, absolutely. And I was probably in the worst physical shape of my life at the time. And so we decided to do this, this hike. And we actually did make it to the summit. I don't know if you can see, but up there at the very top, that's the summit of Hafton. That's us two right there at the very top. And I learned something that day that was very interesting about Hafton. I learned that it's one thing. It's one thing to read about something. It's one thing to hear about something. It's one thing to kind of see it from a distance, what's going on. But when you come and see something for yourself, man, it's a different experience. It's a different thing that happens to us. We're in the middle of a, of a series. And if you would, I want you to go ahead and just turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, uh, go ahead and turn there. We're in the middle of a series called Come and Go. And it's this idea, it's really a series about the kingdom of God. We talked about this last week that uh, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God. And the truth is the kingdom of God can be equated as the church. That Jesus really shows us in the beginning that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is the church. And this kind of blew the disciples' minds because they always thought that it was going to be uh, this physical kingdom that they're going to establish. And one day it actually will be. 
But they were thinking in the physical realm. They were thinking, hey, he's going to set up this, himself as a king, much like David was, King David. And, and we're just going to rule the earth kind of in this physical sense. And, and, and God's coming, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and, and he says, hey, you know, it, it's going to be like that one day. But right now, I'm going to set up a spiritual kingdom. And he calls it the church. And we talked about this last week, that, that the purpose and progress of the kingdom of God and the church are these ideas, these words, come and go. And we said that last week in the introduction. I want to refine the introduction just a little this week. It's very similar to last week, but look at the introduction there uh, on the screen or on your outline there or on your app. The purpose and progress of the church can be summed up into two reflexes. Come and see and go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. Now think about what a reflex is. Reflex is something that just kind of automatically happens. It's something that we don't really think about. It just happens. It's something that our body is responding to uh, outside. And we kind of illustrated this last week with the breathing exercise. That we have this reflex built within us that we don't even think about most of the time where air comes and air goes. And it does this all day and we very rarely think about it, but this is a reflex. I believe the church has reflexes too. I believe it has these two reflexes as a church. That life is sustained, just like life is sustained with us through our lungs bringing in air, coming in and going out, I believe the church has the exact same reflex. That there is a come and see and a go and tell. And this is what establishes life in the church. This is how God set it up. And so this morning I want to talk about the come and see reflex of the church. And this is really the breathe in reflex of our church and what we're doing. Come and see. In fact, this morning, what we're doing right now would be considered a come and see moment, that we're coming in together. We are gathered together to come and see something. We are breathing in as a church. Each week, we are invited to come and see what God has done and is doing. And I know the outline says that. And honestly, I wish I could have added one more thing to that. That come and see what God has done and is doing. And really come and see what God will do. That we are in anticipation of something else that God will do. That it's not just this idea of what he's done in the past. That's awesome. That's incredible. God's done amazing things for us. But it doesn't just stop back there once we get saved. That God continues to do things in our lives. So we're not only celebrating what he's done 2,000 years ago on our behalf. We celebrate what he's done today and this week and what he will continue to do. And there's a word that we use for that. And we call it worship. Worship is the word for that. In fact, we, we, we carefully identify this gathering is a worship gathering. Why? Because worship extends beyond just the music part of the time together here. That worship is something that permeates every facet of when we come and see together. It's the music. It's the message. It's the celebrations and the honors uh, of, of people like we did this morning with Mother's Day. It's every part of our gathering. 
this idea of worship. And this reflex of the church establishes really the purpose of the church. It is why we gather. Because think about this. Why would we gather if there was nothing to come and see? Why would we gather if there was no good reason for us to come and see what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do? Why else would we gather if it wasn't for this reason? You see, at the heart of the message of come and see, it's an invitation. It signals an encounter with God. And you see this phrase all throughout Scripture. I'm going to fly through these because I want to get to the the text this morning. But look out on the screen here. Psalm 66, verses 5 and 6, the psalmist says, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. What is he talking about? He's talking about two different events for the people of Israel. He's talking about when they crossed the Red Sea. And he's talking about when they also crossed the Jordan River. And he, what is he saying? He's inviting you as the reader to come and see, come and worship, come and counter the works of God. He is awesome in his doing. Look at John 146. It's right here on the screen. You remember the story of Philip and Nathaniel. Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, hey, look, Jesus, this, this guy, Jesus, that's kind of come on the scene, I think this is the guy that Moses and the prophets were talking about. You got to come see this guy, uh, 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 Nathaniel. And look at what Nathaniel says to him. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's basically like saying, hey, Nazareth, likes the, Nazareth is like this podunk town. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I love what Philip says. He says, hey, come and see. He's inviting him. These two words we see again. John 4, 29, the woman at the well. Jesus is there at the well. He's talking to this woman. He's telling her about living water, water that she can drink and never thirst again. He's talking about himself, really. And notice what she does. She leaves where she's at. She goes into the town where she's known as this unsavory woman. And what does she say to the people? What does she say to them in verse 29? Come and see. A man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Again, he's inviting her. He's inviting, she's inviting the people to come and encounter this Jesus. To come and see him for themselves. And then probably the biggest come and see moment in all of scripture is found in Matthew 28. It's, it's Jesus has been, has been uh, crucified, he's been buried, and on the third day, we know the story, but Matthew 28, 6, the women come to the tomb, they get to the tomb, there's this angel there at the tomb, and look at what the angel says in verse 20, excuse me, verse 5. The angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has his risen, as he said, and then you see this phrase again, come and see the place where the Lord laid. This is probably the biggest moment in all of church history. In fact, it's because of this verse that we even have a reason to gather this morning. Because this moment, this come and see moment right here in scripture triggers every come and see moment since. All the way to this moment we're in right now. That when we come on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights and in people's homes throughout the week, that when we gather and come and see, we are coming and seeing this. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then this, is, this establishes our purpose. It's why we gather. It's what the church was made to do. 
to come and see what God has done and is doing and will do. And then you bring, it brings us here to Acts chapter 2. The aftermath, really, of the resurrection. Jesus died, buried, resurrected, ascended, and ten days have passed, and it's been quiet. And the disciples are waiting on a promise that Jesus said that he would deliver on. The promise of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 this morning. And I'll just tell you, it's more of a survey of the whole chapter this morning. So let's get into it. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, the disciples and other believers, were all all with one accord in one place. They were all together during this holiday called Pentecost. And Pentecost is just a a word for, uh, it means 50 And what it's signifying is 50 days after the Passover. And we already know what happened during the Passover weekend. That was the same weekend Jesus died and was resurrected. So this is 50 days after that event. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this is it. This is the moment the Holy Spirit comes to these disciples. And a lot of things happen here. You see these here. Something like rushing wind. Something like divided tongues of fire. I mean, truthfully, it sounds like something you would read in the book of Revelation. Sounds very interesting stuff. And many artists have tried to depict what this looks like. I think I have a picture of it here um, of what they think it looks like. And it's one of those things that we don't really know exactly what it looks like. And the reason why is the use of the words as of. It's as of a rushing mighty wind. It's as of fire. Meaning it's something like this. Or it's something like that. It was something that was so miraculous that even the writer uh, couldn't really put his finger on exactly what was going on here. And really that's not the point. What matters in this story and what we do know is that the Holy Spirit of God at this moment was filling up the disciples. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they began to speak other languages. That's what it means when it says other tongues. This idea that they're speaking other languages. And this is the birth of what we are doing right now. Think about that for just a second. That what we're doing right now all started right here in this chapter, in this, in this verse right here in Acts chapter 2. Our church started in 1949, our local church. But there is an event that happened long before 1949, 2,000 years ago. And it's this moment right now, the birth of the church, the birth of, of all of this. So this morning, I want us to look at how God used this particular come and see moment in the lives of the early church And how God wants to use it in our church and in our lives as well. That when we come and see God for who he is and what he's done, he changes everything. He changes our church and he changes our lives. And he has been doing this since the start. Since Acts chapter 2. This is where the church comes in. So I've got these points on your outline, and I want to encourage you to follow along. This idea of when we come and see, when we come and see God and what he's doing and what he's already done, when we come and see, when we come and gather into this place, God begins to change our way of thinking about things. 
And I want us to see some of these here out of Acts chapter 2. So when we come and see, the first, first thing is this. A place becomes a people. A place becomes a people. Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, we, don't, we really don't know if it was the sound of the rushing wind or the sound of them all speaking different languages. But when all of this commotion occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now imagine this. I think I have a map of all of these people. So you have this Pentecost uh, scene here, and it's a holiday that's happening there in Jerusalem. And Jews from all over the known world, you can see even as far as Rome, which was kind of the furthest extent from Jerusalem, all of these people were coming to Jerusalem, and each one was speaking a different language and a different dialect, and they're all here, and they're in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, they're hearing all of these people speaking different languages, but speaking to these different places all over the thing. And you have there in the passage, you have a list of all of these places of people in Jerusalem that were hearing their own language. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. The cool thing about this part and this thing is that the church, this move of the Holy Spirit that happens right there did not stay in the room or the place they were in. I got a picture of the place that they believe this actually occurred. They believe this is the upper room. So if you ever go on a tour of Israel, this is where they'll take you. And they'll say this is where the Holy Spirit of God came upon those believers. This is the very same room. But this is what's really cool about that. There's nothing really special about this room. It's just a room. What's really special about the story is the fact that the Spirit of God and these people didn't stay in a particular room. And the reason we know that is because just a few minutes from now, thousands of people are going to give their lives to Christ. And this is huge because the people of God have, are the people, the Israelites, always thought of God and they always thought of worship as something around a building, they were always about, well, worship occurs in the temple. It occurs in the temple. That's where we worship God. That's where we come and see. And God is doing something new here. He's saying that may have been the old way, but the church is on something new. The church is not a building we go to. We talk about church a lot as if it's a building we go to. We talk about this idea of, you know, we're located right beside UPS, you know, right off 74. You know, you can get on Google Maps and, and find us really quick. But here's the thing. Our church cannot be founded on a map because the church is not a building. We may meet in a building, but the church is not a building we go to. The church is a people that we come to. Our church is not this building. Our church is you guys, the people in the building. When we gather together, we are having church. And whether we do that on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or in someone's home during the week, we are the church. We are the gathering of people. We're not going to some holy building. We are coming together with the people of God. Secondly, when we come and see self-seeking fame becomes spirit-filled humility. Look at verse 7. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak 
Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Again, it goes back to that map. I think I showed the map a little early, but it goes back to that map of all of these people coming together and they're hearing their own language, each knowing a different language, and yet because of the Spirit of God and the church's obedience, they understand one another. And then verse 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Now here's the crazy thing about this. This has happened in history before, only the opposite way. This, what we see in this, pa- in this map is all of these different languages coming together and speaking the same language. But there was actually a point in history where all the people were in one place speaking the same language and they all got dispersed speaking different languages. You may know what we're talking about? The Tower of Babel. Genesis 11, you see it there in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 4. I've got this on the screen. Now the whole earth had one language and one speak. And it came to pass as they journeyed from east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And then look at the last thing it says there. Let us make a name for ourselves. Why did God confuse the languages? I believe it's because of that last line right there. Let us make a name for ourselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They're they're bringing people together, not for anything of God's glory. They're bringing people together because they wanted to make a name for themselves. And in Acts, it's a different story because they're not out to make a name for themselves anymore. Their common goal is not to make themselves famous. It's to make Christ famous. And they're no longer seeking this idea of their own fame. They're looking for the fame of Christ. There's this spirit-filled humility. And that's a big deal because just... Months earlier, these guys were arguing with Jesus over who's supposed to sit beside Jesus. They wanted the prime seat. And now you see this reversal where they're actually fulfilling what God intended for them. Not self-seeking fame, but spirit-filled humility. You see, the church is not a status-building attempt. It's not a status-building attempt. The purpose of church is not to create some type of status symbol for yourself. I've talked to people before and, and uh, in other churches and, and even some in this church that it, it almost you kind of get the feeling that the reason they're here is to promote their career. Or, or they're, they're a part of this church because they have better networking connections here and it just fits well with their business model or their career or what they're trying to achieve in life. And the church was never intended to be that. that that's not why we gather. That's not why you should be at this church. It's not for a career-building attempt. It's not so you can even like go up the ranks. And before I start pointing the finger at you guys as the laity, it, for pastors, it's the same thing. This church is not a platform for us as pastors to build ourselves up to this elevated status. That what we're after is not to make a name for ourselves. We're after this idea of making Christ famous in this act of spirit-filled humility. The church is not a status-building attempt. The church is a Jesus-promoting culture. 
I love what, G, what uh, Christian said earlier this morning because it's so true that Jesus is our lead story. It's our first value. It's the thing that we value really the most in our worship gatherings, that we may have a lot of different stories going on on Sunday morning. And one of those stories this morning is that we want to honor mothers. We want to honor them. And I think about my mom over there who sacrificed all kinds of things uh, for our family. I think about my wife who is, is an incredible mother as well, just sacrificing so much for our family. And, and they would both agree with me when I say this, that this Sunday morning is not ultimately about them. That, that we can honor people and that that's a good thing. But every Sunday morning, we want one lead story. We want one name that we're promoting more than anything else every Sunday morning. And it's the name of Jesus. It's what he's done on our behalf. And this is what you see in this passage, that Jesus became the thing that people were focused on. Next, when we come and see, when we come and see, when we come and gather, when we come and see what God has done and is doing, Curious critics become faithful followers. Curious critics become faithful followers. At this point in the story, most of the people, uh, if you read the, the, the story there, most people thought that these guys were drunk. It's like early in the morning, and they're thinking, these people are drunk. There's no way this can be something interesting. This, they just got to be drunk. These people were curious about what was happening. They were also critical. They're saying, these guys are drunk. And then Peter takes advantage of this curiosity. And I wish I had time. I encourage you this week, go and read the, the sermon that Peter preaches there. It's pretty crazy to think about that this man, a fisherman, um, someone who's not really gifted in communication, all of a sudden steps to the, up to the plate and preaches this incredible message. And verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Can you imagine this scene? Like in one day, 3,000 people come to Christ. And I love this because this is really what the church is about. That what, when we gather in this place, curious critics... People that are coming in with all their ideas about what church is and who Jesus is, they're curious, but they probably have some hang-ups. But that when we come and see who God is and what he's done on our behalf, curious critics begin to become faithful followers. You see, the church is not a reprimanding judgment. The church is a rescuing journey. And this is the biggest misconception that we find in our culture today. That, that people just assume that the church is just a place where we're going to just reprimand you. We're going to tell you how awful you are and leave you there every single week. And I love this, this message because if you go and you read Peter's message, it's a tough message. It's a message that he hits hard on, some, on many, many things. He basically tells these people, hey, you're the reason Jesus was crucified. But he doesn't leave them in this reprimanding, okay? He wasn't judging them in some kind of self-righteousness. Remember where Peter was just two months earlier? He was denying Christ. He was cursing out people denying Christ. 
It wasn't centered around some self-righteous judgment. It was centered around this rescuing Savior. And this is why I love our church so much. Because if you figured this out, no one in our church has it all together. Have you figured that out yet? If you, if you stay around here long enough, you'll figure out that every single one of us in this place are flawed. If you ever follow me to Little Caesars and they get my order wrong, you will see me flawed. Okay? And it's, I'm not making excuses for that because that's sin. But here's the truth. Man, we are all in the same boat. That no one that is on this stage or no one out there, from the five-year-old to the senior pastor, we are all flawed. And we're not here to reprimand one another. We're on this rescuing journey together. And I call it a journey because it's not an event. It's not just a moment that happens when I was eight years old and I was rescued from my sin. No, I'll just be honest. I need rescuing every single day. I need rescuing from my attitude. I need rescuing from some of the things that I say. And we get to do this together. That's the beauty of our church, that we make this place attractive. What makes it attractive is not some kind of hypocrisy of perfection. What makes this place attractive is that there's transparency and there's realness and that we're all coming together around this idea that we are all on this journey of rescue together. So when we come and see That's the truth. When we come and see curious critics become faithful followers, this is our prayer every week, that someone in this place will go from being a curious critic to being a faithful follower of Jesus. Next, when we come and see, when we gather each week, emotion becomes devotion. Emotion becomes devotion. Look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. That basically means they devoted themselves in the apostles' doctrine, in the teaching of the word of God, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. These followers were not following their emotions, okay? They were devoted to one another through thick and thin. And we know this because think about what it meant to follow Jesus and be devoted to to the church at this point in time. This was a time of persecution. This was a time where lots of just hard times were about to come to this church. And these people, they devoted themselves to teaching to fellowship, to eating together, communion, and in prayers. Now, here's the thing. I'm not dissing on emotion. I'm not saying that emotion is a bad thing. I'll just say it. I'm I'm a very emotional person. You can ask my wife, and I, I, I hate to even admit this, but every Christmas, my favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life, and I love that movie. And I'll just tell you, I cry in that movie every single year. And it's not just the very end when all the people come in around George Bailey. Like, honestly, I cry when the pharmacist is hitting them in the ear. I know that's a weird, I mean, it's like right in the first five minutes of the movie. I have to usually watch it by myself because I don't want my kids to watch their daddy cry in a movie. But honestly, I'm an emotional person, even in church. Man, I get emotional. I get, I get to thinking about what God's done for me, and I get to thinking about what God is doing every week. I can't sit still. Like, I can't, I don't understand somber. Like, I can't be that. I don't understand how we can get so excited in a sporting event and yet come in here and just not be excited about what God's doing. 
That's just amazing. It blows me out of the water. So I'm not saying that church is not an emotional thing. What I am saying is that at some point, that emotion has to drive us to devotion. That the church is not an emotionally driven event. That we're not trying to create some emotional drive here. Because let's face it, emotion doesn't last. It's a temporary experience, a temporary feeling. But some view church through the lens of, of this question. And this is something you got to be careful of. When you come in here today and you leave here today, the question sometimes becomes, did I get the feels during that service? Did I, did I, feel, did I feel anything? I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling it this morning. You know, that worship pastor, he was off a little bit and, and that, or that message was kind of boring, and, and I, just, I just didn't get, I didn't feel a certain way. And, and to be honest, this is, the, this is the problem with the millennial generation, that they are after and chasing this emotional feeling. And they're saying, hey, on Sunday I can get this emotional feeling here. On Wednesday I can go to this church and get this emotional feeling. And on Friday I can go to this other church and this other group and have this emotional experience. And the fact of the matter is, what God is saying to us through all of this is, man, we chase these feelings and we even kind of determine on a Sunday morning whether it was good or not based on our emotional response and the fact of the matter is the church is not an emotionally driven event. Church is a relationally focused family. That we as a, as a people, man, we desire, all of us have this built in us, this desire to see great things happen. We want to see that. We want to have mornings where we come in this place and we just are like, wow. But you know the best moments like that? You know when they occur? They occur in the midst of devotion. They occur in the midst of devotion. Even in this passage, look at what happens. They continued steadfastly, devoted themselves in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They devoted themselves to all of this. And then verse 33 or 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. God brings the richest moments in the context of relationally focused life. He doesn't bring the richest moments in our life chasing an emotion. He brings the richest moments in our lives when we are already devoted to something. And this can be in the context of church. This can be in the context of your marriage. You meet these men and these women and they're just chasing this feeling that this other person can give them. But God is saying the richest moments you will ever have in your life are going to come through the context of relational devotion. And it's the same right here in church. That some of you have been a part of this church for so many years that you're, you're realizing now that the best moments are yet to come. That the best moments come when we're devoted to a body of people. That it's a relationship, not an emotion. Next, when we come and see, when we gather, diversity becomes unity. Diversity becomes unity. Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now this doesn't mean that they were drones or clones. Every person was an individual with different backgrounds, different races, different accents even. 
And, and here's the thing that God's trying to tell us through this, that when you come to church, you don't have to lose your personality. That God designed you and created you with your unique personality, your unique gift set, your, your unique abilities, and God actually wants to use that diversity. But what he's talking about here is not that they were all the exact same person, but they came together with one common pers- pur- purpose, and they were unified. Yet sometimes we let diversity, and sometimes we let even our diversified preferences get in the way. But the church is not a social club. The church is not a social club. And sometimes you see people treat it like a social club. It's almost like saying, you know, well, I go to the Y because the Y has, the YMCA has better programs. You know, they've got, they've got the racquetball courts. I, re- I really like that. You know, well, well I, I like to go to Planet, Planet Fitness because Planet Fitness is cheaper and they've got those nice massage cha- tables and they've got the tanning beds where you can get nice and crusty and, and those are just, those are awesome. Well, well, I like the Rock Fitness Center because they're open 24 hours a day. I'm not on anyone's schedule. I can just go in when I please. And here's the danger in that kind of thinking when we bring that to church. Many people choose church like they choose a gym. And we all know the truth about that. For most people in a gym, there's no real commitment. It's basically whoever offers the best stuff, the best programs, the best music, the best facilities, that's what I'm after. And really, the bottom line, it becomes this. And we got to be careful of this, of this thought process. Whichever one costs me the least to be involved in and gives me the most, that's what I want. Whatever church gives me the most things but requires the littlest of me, that's where I want to go. Because you see, Jonathan, I had these diversified preferences that I really care about. And I'm after the thing that costs me the least sacrifice, but the most gain. Guys, that's, that's not unity. That's not what God is saying in this passage, that the church is not a social club. The church is a serving community, a place where we come together. And it's not really about our diversified preferences. It's about our diversified gifts. That God wants to take our preferences and say, I know these preferences mean a lot to you, but here's the thing. There is something greater I'm trying to do in and through you that's bigger and beyond your preferences. And what he's saying is, hey, I want to take your diversified gifts, your ability to teach, your ability to serve, your ability to work with children, your ability to work with students, your personality. I want to take all of these diverse personalities and all of these diverse gifts and I want them all to come into one place and have one thing in common, this idea that we are centered and focused on the name of Jesus and that we are serving one another with our diverse gifts. When we come and see, lastly, when we come and see, when we come and see what God is doing and has done, when we come and see and gather in this place, A failed religion becomes a fulfilled kingdom. Verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. house. Again, not contained in a building. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart 
praising God and having favor with all the people. You know, as I read this, my heart starts to burn. I don't know if you, when you're reading that, if, you're, if you kind of yearn for that. If you yearn for that kind of thing here at our church. Because nothing in that passage preaches this idea of religion. Yet this is what most of our people uh, in outside, this is what they think of church. They think it's just a religious thing that you do. But the church is not a meaningless ritual. The church is a meaningful relationship. It's this idea that we are coming together, not under some failed religion or some of our, our feeble attempt to reach God, but that we're coming and saying, hey, we're all in the exact same place. We're all in the exact same boat together. Imperfect people that are coming together, and we are after a meaningful relationship, not only with God, but with one another as well. And I love how 47 ends. It says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, here's the deal. When we come and see each week what God has done and is doing, and if I might add, and and will be doing, when we do that, it doesn't change the church near as much as it changes us. It changes our perspective. It changes our attitude. It changes our behavior. And it does that for our benefit and for his glory. I love, I love the fact that Jesus in scripture, he talks about the church. Before he, you know, while he's here on earth, he talks a lot about the church. And one thing he says about the church is the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's one of my favorite verses. And you know why I love that verse? Because the church doesn't rise and fall on me doing the right thing or the wrong thing. That God has established his church and he will see it through to completion. That I can't stop the kingdom of God. I don't have that ability and it doesn't rise and fall on me. What God is inviting us to is not this idea of, hey, it's not that he's pleading with us saying, hey, please just make the church great. Just please make it great. No, he's already made it great. And all across the world, whether this church lives or dies, all across the world, the church, the ultimate universal church is growing and the gates of hell are not prevailing against it regardless of what I do. But what this is saying is that we have the opportunity to engage in the fact that church changes us. We don't change the church as much as church changes us. It changes our perspective. It changes our behavior. It changes the way we think. And it's for our benefit. You know, I've I've met people. And I kind of want to close with this idea of the fact that we've met people that, that honestly, you know, they... They, they never really got involved. They never really got devoted to a church. And when tragedy hits, when something happens in their life, you know what the truth is? They, they got no one. And you know why? It's because they didn't, they didn't come and see. They didn't get involved in the church. They didn't have what Acts 2 is talking about. You see, being a part of this is for your benefit. It's for you to gain something through your serving and through your devotion. 
And so the invitation is this. We're not having a, a formal invitation with music or anything. The invitation is this. On that handout, on that card towards the middle there, there's several questions there. And it says things like, I'm interested in forming a relationship with Christ. That's a pretty big one. Because you know what? None of this matters. None of this matters if you don't have a relationship with Christ. You can do the whole church thing, and we talked about this last week. You can do the whole church thing, but really, if you're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you're an outsider, even if you're here. So that's really the most important thing, is this idea of forming a relationship with Christ. But, but look, at, it goes beyond that. I'm interested in becoming a member of PCC. Maybe you've been here, and maybe you're kind of watching and seeing, you know, hey, is this place bringing the emotion? You know, am I feeling the emotion every Sunday? God wants to move you past emotion and bring you to devotion. He wants you to plug in. If it's not here, he wants you to plug in somewhere. Or maybe it's, I'm interested in joining a connect group. You know, transparency is found more in connect groups than any other thing that we do here at church. And maybe you've been here every Sunday but maybe you haven't plugged in. Man, today would be a great day to sign, that, sign up for that and say, hey, I want to join a connect group. Or lastly, maybe you've been so focused on your diversified preferences that you've forgotten about your diversified gifts. And that maybe God wants you to, to stop seeing church as a social club where your preferences are met and instead say, hey, I want to come and I want to serve with my diversified gifts. I'm interested in a reach group. I'm interested in serving somewhere in this church. Whatever God has for you, I want to encourage you today, take that card today and make a decision to follow through. To come and see what God is doing. Not just to show up here on Sunday morning, but to come and see what God has done and is doing. I promise, man, God will use it in your life. Let's pray. We're going to have an opportunity to take the offering if the ushers want to come forward. God, we thank you, Lord, for just this message. We thank you, God, that we have an opportunity, Lord, to come and see that you've invited us each week to come and see what you are doing and what you've already done on our behalf, Lord. And God, we want to take hold of that, Lord. We, wanna, we realize, God, that you have something for us, Lord, and that this church is for our benefit, God, that we can gain so much through being involved in a local church. God, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for so many, especially in this, in this gathering, Lord, that are already devoted, that have been devoted for years. Through thick and thin, they've been here, and they are reaping the benefits of what they've seen through their devotion. God, I thank you for them. And Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's any one of us, Lord, that as we talked about that card, Lord, and talked about just the different areas that we need to step it up in, Lord, maybe we're not serving in this church, Lord. I pray, God, that you would call us to, to serve, Lord. Maybe we're not connecting with others. Maybe we're not being transparent. God, I pray that you would call us into that, Father. Lord, whatever you have for us this morning, I pray, God, that we would be obedient. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me uh, just mention a couple things.